Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Friday edition, June 25th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. We're getting really close to the month of July and uh, a lot of uh, dates on the NHL critical dates calendar come in the month of July. So we'll be there soon enough. And the countdown to the expansion draft, free agency, and the NHL draft is all on the way. Uh, But let's get to part two right now of our evaluation of flyer forwards. We did uh, the first half of the forward group on Monday's episode. If you missed it, you can go back and check it out. And we hit the second half here on this episode. And I had a chance to catch up with Flyers insider Bill Meltzer. And here's that conversation. Joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily, we're going to recap our look back from last year. I don't know that this is going to signify the actual end to looking at anything from last year. But here's the hope, and it does. And uh, Bill Meltzer joins us from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com uh, to put a bow on the forward group and to talk about some of the latest goings-on in the NHL. Bill, I, I want to park last year at some point. I guess we just got to wait until expansion draft or something to do it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, once once the rest of the league is in the offseason, that's, uh, that's when I think things look and moving a little bit more because we really, really do want to put last season to bed and start looking forward. You know, yeah, you know it's funny because it's kind of where I want to start before we get to the for, the remaining forwards to, to kind of evaluate is it's the Montreal Canadiens. I, I did the episode about it on Wednesday because we've talked so much on this podcast this summer about team building, and Montreal finished one point better than the Flyers in the regular season. Now they do have an all-world goalie in Carey Price and. And to be honest, Bill, I don't think in this series against Vegas, they've, it's been price stealing the series. To me, they just outplayed their opponent, limited their opponent, and one that I wasn't sure that they could limit in Vegas. Absolutely. You know, and uh, I mean, they did, they did a, a lot of the same thing to, uh, to Winnipeg as well in the round mm-hmm. before, where, I mean, when, when Price had to step up big, he did. But really, a, a lot of the time, they made life kind of easy on him. You know, they, they really kept play to the outside and you know um if there was a rebound they cleaned it up and you know and if he did have to step up he did but yeah i mean it's been it's been the proverbial you know total team effort to to get where they are you know which is obviously a win away from the stanley cup final and that's after losing an overtime game you know that's uh sometimes sometimes when you go in the series as an underdog when you lose that ot game that can kind of stall your momentum hasn't been the case you know it's been been really you know real been really impressive to watch and yeah you know it's a team that finished one point ahead of the flyers in the standings this year the uh by most accounts the the north division was the weakest of divisions they were the fourth place team in it um you know they got the goaltending they peaked at the right time and you know and they've obviously in the playoffs they've significantly tightened up defensively and, and cut their goals against average what it while uh you know it applies to the flyers in this way we go into the post, you know, we go into this offseason knowing that the number one thing the Flyers need to do if they're going anywhere is they have to significantly cut their team goals against average. If they don't do that, if they're the bottom third of the league, they're probably not making the playoffs. If you get up back in the top half again, we ran the numbers on a, an older podcast, uh, it's, and it doesn't matter how many goals you score either. It's your team goals against average. That's the best predictor of whether you're going to make the playoffs or not. So the best that, predictor for playoff success too, right? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, and they, you know, the, the Habs weren't stellar in goals against average during the regular season. It's why they kind of were, you know, the fourth, you know, the fourth seed in their division. So it's, uh, 
they, they've peaked at the right time. Uh, go back a year too. There with with what they're doing. I mean, they're all buying in. Every every everybody is bought in, and it it develops a momentum. You know, as you go, it builds and builds and builds. You know, a year ago, they went into the playoffs. Really, no pressure on them. They they got in by the play-ins. You know, they they would not have been a playoff team. Uh, they dismantled Pittsburgh in the first round, and they in in the play-in round, and they threw a scare into the Flyers. They've kind of done the same thing. This year too, that was a, it's a better team. You know, they were a fourth. They were fourth in their division, and um, at least in that division, they you know, they they got in. They were they were the fourth team in there. It wasn't like they had to, uh, you know, squeak in. They had, you know, but it, it, it's. Uh, I, I think I think it's a surprise. If I, I don't think anybody would have predicted going in, and in, in that first round, the second round, I really. You know, going into the, the series against Winnipeg, I thought Winnipeg looked really good in the first round, and I expected that to be a much tougher series than it was, and I expected Winnipeg to ultimately win. When they just took the Jets apart, I thought, well, dude, they're on to something here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, obviously the uh, Golden Knights are a really, really good hockey team, and they beat Colorado in the last round, and, I mean, Montreal's taken it from them. They, they, they've been, and you know, they stole the they certainly stole one game in the series. They probably didn't deserve to win, but they're they're gaining that momentum that you see, you know, where even if even if uh, Vegas is to take it seven, I would give the the Habs a decent shot even in a game seven, just because they're a very resilient team. They're they're you know all the all the things all the platitudes that you hear about playing for each other and you know all of those things. I mean, they're they're doing all of that. They're playing with a lot of heart, a lot of determination. You know, it's an it's an easy team to uh, to respect the way they've been playing. Yeah, and you look at the additions, and that's the other area I want to go because we've talked on this podcast a ton about, and we've I mean I asked you the question point blank in the last one, you know, about making the splashy move. Does this organization, the Flyers, need to make a splashy move? Mark Bergevin didn't make splashy moves. What he did, Bill, was yep. he grabbed a guy in Corey Perry, he grabbed a guy in Eric Stahl in a trade with Minnesota, he grabbed a guy. In uh, Tyler Toffoli, who can still play, had a great year, mind you, and was top, you know towards the top of the league in scoring this year. I think he had twenty-seven or twenty-eight goals, and he had. What did all those guys have in common? They all have won cups, and they all come in. They weren't splashy front page of the NHL.com website moves, but they were the right moves for his group. And to me, to me, it says a couple things. Hey, the splashy move is not always the best move from a hockey standpoint. And your team's never as far off as you think it is. <laughs> because no, if you get hot and you play well and you buy in, that's what this league is predicated on. And you're seeing it firsthand in Montreal. Right. And, and you know, nobody is saying, and I, I blogged about it earlier today, what the Flyers need to do, they, they have to be bold this offseason. They can't yep. just run back the same group, not change the chemistry a little bit, make a, make a big move somewhere in there because you have to get to the dance in the first place. Yep. And, and um, but once you're there, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, you know, just go back a couple of years where Tampa Bay ran away with the president's trophy, lost. They got swept in the first round by Columbus and they made small, they made tweaks in the off season. They didn't, they didn't blow anything up, but they, they made, they added some elements of grit. They added a little more size in the back end and those kind of things. And uh, the next year they go all the way. And it, I mean, obviously, players, you know, your big guys have to step up. Your best players have to be your best players in crunch time. 
um, you know, also also helps when you get a lot of uh, long-term injury reserve cap space too. But uh, yeah. uh, that's a, that's an off-season matter. We'll see how that all you know all that shakes out. But at any at any rate, you know, it, it, it's just um, again you you get to the dance and you don't know. I mean, it, it's look at the look at this Flyers team that started out eleven four and three this season, and coming off of the year they had last year, and then the bottom drops out. You're not the the gap from top to bottom is really you know at least to the at least in that middle group it, it it's very very small differences between the group that finishes about four to six points out of the playoffs and even a even a two or three seed sometimes it's really sometimes sometimes just a little tweak in chemistry just a little one addition or two additions and certainly the playoff experience helps too. It, it can have a much bigger effect than it might look like on paper. Well, just look at the, the AV's first year coming out of that team that didn't make the playoffs. Uh, Chuck Fletcher, his three big moves that offseason. Kevin Hayes, significant move, especially considering Nolan Patrick didn't play. So to add it to your center group and, and the year that Hayes had, Matt Niskin and Tyler Pitlick. You know, are any of those moves splashy? No. But they were the right moves for the team at that time, and they took them to, to being one of the top teams in the NHL in that season. And um, you know they won a round of the playoffs, got to seven against uh, the against the Islanders, who went to the conference final. Ultimately, lost to, to Tampa, who went on to win the cup. But I, I, I want a splashy move. I think they need to make a splashy move, but not because it's a splashy move, but because it's the right player to help this team. Right. I, I, yeah. I don't want splash. I want substance. But in this in this case, you know, especially with this D market, I think you can accomplish both. So um, last thing on this, real quick. Good for the NHL if the Montreal Canadiens not only go to a cup final but win the cup. No Canadian team has won it since they did back in '93, which is yeah, which is which is wild to think. But it's absolutely a good thing for the game and for the league. I agree. Um, yeah, and I mean, listen, it's good for the game too when you have a you know a team that uh, kind of a, just not a again not a Cinderella story, but it, it's just a team that went in as a lower seed and knock off some higher ranked teams that's you know it, it stimulates interest in markets of, of teams that are kind of you know on the bubble or, or, or however you want to however you want to phrase it maybe teams on the rise for the long term you know are they ready to win yet sometimes is the question mark i think that it's you know i, I think that i think it's a great thing for the game i, I love stories like these yeah and to me it's um it showcases something the league worked hard at through collective bargaining and through a lockout, even which was parity that yep. any team can win. You got to get in, you got to get hot, you got to have some luck along the way, and the Canadians have done that. So you create a lot of your own luck too, and, and they've done a good job of it. I think it'd be a great story for the league, and you know I like to see great players achieve great things. You know, some people like to see great players fail. I'm not one of those people, and I'd love I'd love to see Carey Price put a, a cherry on his career. I mean, it's a certain Hall of Fame career. He's been the best goalie in the world for a decade. Yep. Uh, but to put that kind of cherry on it, um, to me, just it, it makes the legend grow. And, and then you kind of look back and you go, I, I got to watch that guy play quite a bit. And to me, that's a great thing. Great players doing great things is great for the game. Oh, uh, 100%, you know. And, um, oh, I mean, uh, not that uh, not that he's a direct comparison, but there was – there was a period of time where Shea Weber was considered the one of the top one or two defensemen in the NHL and, you know, had a couple down years in there. And now he's a veteran leader for that team. And he'd come close a few times with Nashville teams that seemed to be 
you know, just on the cusp. They just never really crossed the finish line. They got to a cup final along the way, although he was not there at that point. But, you know, I mean, he'd be another guy I'd be happy for. And then you look at, yeah. then you look at the other pieces of the roster, the, uh, the Suzuki's, the cock and the Emmys. I mean, these are, these are young talents you're going to be hearing about for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the price is the, is the marquee name. He's the hall of fame guy. He's, you know, he's the guy that uh, you'll be reading the articles about and it'd be fantastic for him if he does get, get a cup and get a consummate trophy that just, you know, that's the finishing mark on a, on a hall of fame resume. But uh, you know, but the, the team, even though, even though they're, last couple of regular seasons haven't been great. They have, they have a good leadership group and they're going to keep getting better because they have a lot of young talent there. Yeah. I love the story that I heard about Shea Weber when he first got there. A lot of the young guys, when the team would be, you know, finishing a game at home before going on the road, they just throw their equipment on the floor. Shea Weber picked up all of his equipment, put it in his bag and carried it over to the cart. Then he started doing it with some of the younger players' equipment. So immediately, they started picking up their own crap, putting it in the bag, and carrying yep. it over. It was yep. just a respect thing, and, and just sets a tone, and I just love that story. So it's, it's one of many great ones, of great leaders in the game. So uh, let's get to this forward group again. We hit the first half of the forwards in Monday's episode. So if anybody uh, missed it and wants to go check that out, it's in Monday's Flyers Daily. So let's get to the forward group once again. Let's start on a very positive note here, Bill. And let's make our first forward of uh, part two here, Joel Farabee. He led the Flyers in goals. He had a dynamic season. He clips the 20-goal mark in a shortened season in just his second year. And his first year wasn't even a full season. He dwarfed his uh, numbers from year one early on in the shortened campaign. Had a great season. Had a, had a dry drought in there, but rebounded well and finished really strong. How do you grade out Joel Farabee's season? I thought, yeah, I thought Farabee had a tremendous season. One of the best things about Farabee, and he came into the NHL, you know, with a reputation as a guy who plays the right way most of the time, as a guy with two-way upside and not someone who who cheats on the offensive side at the the expense of, you know, playing both sides of the ice. So uh, I thought he continued to make strides as all as an all-around hockey player too. He killed penalties this year, although the Flyers penalty kill needs a lot of improvement, but, but he shows promise in that area too, as a guy who can be in all situations guy saw more power play time as the season went along, gained a lot of confidence as, as a goal scorer. You could see it. You could see that he, yeah, he, he was confident in shooting, shooting the puck and uh, a good chemistry. He showed the ability to play left or right wing. He'd been primarily known as a left winger. Billy coming into the NHL in his first year. Um, you know, I I wouldn't give anybody on the team an A, but uh, Farabee would be a guy who's, who's pretty close. I, I think, you know, solid, solid B, even even maybe a, a B plus for for his second season, you know, getting getting to the 20-goal mark in a shortened season. I mean, he, you know, he, he hit the marks he wanted him to hit. Of, of all the young players on the team, you're hoping would take a step forward, and many of them did not. He, he was the he was the bright side. He was the guy who did. Yeah, he absolutely did. And the thing about it, we talked to Joel about it during the season because we saw in his rookie year, he, he would, he'd get a lot of really good chances, but he just didn't finish them. And he, he, he knew that as well. And in the offseason, he went and worked and worked on his ability to finish at the NHL level, all with that data and knowledge of what it takes to finish at that level, worked his butt off in doing it, put on some more muscle. He looked stronger in board battles too. And to me, he, he made a, a great jump year to year. And I can't wait for, you know, part three 
because this is a player that the more knowledge he gains about the game at that level, I think it just it just pushes him to not only work harder but work smarter too to to elevate the areas where he needs to he can get even better. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think one of the areas with with Joe, you you like players to be emotional. Yeah, um, I, I do think Joe can grow a little further in that area because he will still get down on him, not get down on himself, but but get upset when things don't go his way at times, and you know try to do a little too much at times. All all that comes with youth. I mean, he has all the makings of a guy. If he's going to be healthy, he's going to be a very good player in the league for a long, long time. I don't know if he'll ever be a superstar, but he'll be a he'll be a very good player for a very long time. Yeah, and a contributor too, and and yeah. that's that's a great thing and uh, a pick well done, and and uh, he had a great year. So uh, congrats to him, and I can't wait. Like I said, to see part three. Uh, so, so we started out on a, on a positive note, Bill, but we're going to go to a negative note. Um, and it's year two of Kevin Hayes as a Philadelphia Flyer. He did not have a good year. He was healthy scratched on what was an opportunity for him to have a, a momentous night. And he um, just didn't seem like he ever got his game together. I don't know if conditioning was a part of the equation for Kevin Hayes as well, because at points he didn't look well conditioned. We come to find out at the end of the season that uh, he was dealing with a, a core issue and he had surgery. Uh, but not not a good year two for Kevin Hayes. He wasn't nearly as effective on the PK, which is an area that he really excelled at in year one as a flyer. Um, how do you grade his year? And we got to talk about him going forward and, and what, what putting him in the best position to rebound for success. Yeah, um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Early in the season, the numbers were there. Actually, when the Flyers were were winning, but he still wasn't playing great. He was scoring, so you overlook it to a degree. Um, especially because the year before, you know, he was he was playing pretty well overall, but it took him a little while to get rolling offensively. So you figure, okay, you know, this time he's scoring, he'll he'll come around. And as you said, he never he never really did. Um, you know, in in, in a lot of areas, uh, passing up open shots. Uh, um, you mentioned you mentioned the PK, which being a, being a huge thing. I mean, he had been a real asset on the PK. Uh, his first year, year two, he was part of the struggles, and he never really got he never really got on track, you know, in that regard. Um, just uh, you know, there was a long drought in there, and, and you know, there were physical problems. How much of it was conditioning? How much of it? Was, it's it's hard to say. But year one, you know, he he's under a long term contract for a lot of money. Year one, I, I would make the case that he actually lived up to his contract, met the expectations. Um, I don't think he had a spectacular playoff, but he had a clutch playoff. If you, if you look at, you know, some of the goals that he scored and his final numbers were actually solid. Um, and then I think year two, year two, if you, if you rank the disappointments on the team, you know, I'm mean, Carter Hart season would probably be when not probably would almost certainly be at the top of the list, but Kevin Hayes is, is right up there too. And the Flyers need a much, much better season from him next season to, to bounce back the, that has to be part of the equation. He's here for for years to come, and uh, you know the Flyers need better than they got this past season, no doubt. Yeah, one of the things too, he he was second on the team in shots on goal for the season. He had 127 yeah. in 55 games. The leader was James Van Riemsdyk with 132, who played all 56 games. And there were far too many times that I would see Kevin Hayes take a shot from a dead angle or right. a sharp angle. 
and there was no purpose to the shot other than I, there was a game. It was in the last couple of weeks of the season. The Flyers had a ton of pressure, and it was a tight game at that point. And he he just took one of those sharp angle shots. Goalie gloved it, and that was the end of the of the of the pressure situation and the opportunity. To me, it was an ill-fated shot because it was a very low chance of going in. Plus, the shot wasn't taken with purpose. It wasn't a puck on pad to drive for a rebound. And you killed all your zone time, and you're, you know, you're wearing down your opponent with your forecheck when you make an ill-advised shot like that. It, the decision-making was flawed. Sure, and, and I'll, I'll give a bookend to that. And it, it's anecdotal because I don't have numbers to back it up. I thought an odd man rushes that Hayes was carrying the puck you know, very few of them ended up in the net. Yeah. And this is this is a situation where I thought he was, you know, and I alluded to before, where he was actually passing up some open shots to put the puck in a in a lesser position. And, you know, they weren't they weren't scoring on them, whether whether the pass would bounce away or a save would be made or whatever, but he wasn't he wasn't making the he wasn't making the right play in that situation. He wasn't creating a higher percentage chance. You know, and uh, he, I mean, he had company in that area. He was hardly the only guy that did that this season. But I, it felt like it felt like in, in um, 2019-20, if Hayes was leading a two-on-one or something, you felt like there was a pretty good chance you're either going to score or you're going to get a, a grade-A opportunity out of it. And this year, for whatever reason, he just took a took a step backwards. And, um, you know, it. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, he was, he was a healthy scratch in one game. And that... Uh, he hadn't missed a game up to that point, too. And, you know, players pride themselves in staying in the lineup and if, if they could possibly dress for a game. So that uh, I think that spoke to and he has he has that interesting history anyway with Elaine Vigneault because they had, you know, they had a lot of experience together in New York with Hayes as a young player. And, you know, A.V. gave him a whole lot of tough love, the young player, and he credited A.V. with helping make him a, a more well-rounded player and you know, kind of pushing him, pushing him to be better be, and be more consistent. So, you know, they, they have that backdrop. If AV scratched him in the game, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was for a reason. Um, yeah. We, you know, again, we, I'm not, I'm not dumping on Hayes for all the Flyers problems because they had a whole lot of problems this past season, but certainly him going backwards was, was one of the unpleasant developments of the season no question yeah i'd love to get the numbers on how many two-on-one and three-on-ones the flyers had and didn't record a shot on goal this year i mean yeah. whew, that that can't happen you got you got to get good upper you got to convert those into good scoring opportunities the goalie robs you he robs you but geez get the shot there were too many times where that didn't, they didn't even get a shot off um let's move to our next player um had a bit of a uh, an up and down season as well but did get a contract extension we're talking about scott lawton um, he signs the uh, the extension with the Flyers. He's going to be a Flyer for a long time moving forward. We talked about the cost of replacement at the time. Uh, Lawton had some pretty pretty significant dry spells this year, though, too. Moved around a lot, as a lot of guys did this season. Ended up playing in 53 games at 9 goals, 11 assists, and 20 points. Uh, he ended up a plus 13 on this season. Yeah. Uh, but how, how do you kind of grade Scott Lawton's performance this year? Of Lawton. You know, Lawton got off to a good start. He was one of the guys who seemed affected by – I, mean, I know you don't want to use it as an excuse, but I thought when the team had the COVID outbreak yeah, and um, they came back from that and then, you know, Lawton, Lawton seemed to be struggling for a while. You know, he's, he's a guy who is a high-energy player, always 
always around the puck. I thought that, you know, I thought that he was before he finally broke, broke loose and started scoring a little bit again, he was getting his chances. He just couldn't bury one. And he's had that before in his career where he just goes ice cold offensively for a period of time. And you just hope it doesn't stretch on too long. Um, uh, he's he's another guy who, you know, I, I thought was a had taken big steps forward as a, on the penalty kill and contributing to it, particularly in terms of pressuring and denying entries and you know helping the defense get the puck out of the zone. And I mean, really, you you could look up and down the up and down the penalty killing units, and very few guys had good seasons individually as well as part of the units. And that speaks to why the Flyers were so poor on the penalty kill as a team. Yeah, you know, plus you know they weren't getting saves either. That certainly doesn't help. Um, yeah, you know, I thought that I thought that um, Lawton. I thought the effort is always there. I never never question the effort with Lawton. The work ethic is always there. He's a good process guy, and I think that's part of you know that's part of why uh, that's part of why for whatever limitations plus minus has that on a team that had such a negative goal differential, he was solidly in the, on, on the plus side and uh, at even strength because he's, you know, he, he goes to the right spots. He, he will, he will work to get the puck back. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of the kind of player that winning teams need, um, you, you want to get more offense out of him a little bit more than you got this year. He's never been a big scorer. He's never going to be a big scorer, but he, he does so many little things, right. And I think that once he got over, that hump a little bit when he had, I just thought a, a little downturn in his energy around that around the time they had the COVID outbreak that, that lingered for a few weeks. I, I thought he, I thought he looked like himself again by the end of the year. And that was actually ultimately a positive development, but he, was he a big difference maker uh, on the team? And, you know, I don't, I don't know that you look for Lawton as being the big difference maker, but, but I think that he still, he still played by setting up a, a positive example. I didn't think he was as far off as his game you know, we just we were just talking about Kevin Hayes. I thought Lawton was closer to himself for by the by the end of the season, whereas Hayes and some of it was injury, just was still trying to define himself again. So, yeah. you know, I, I I expect Lawton to be fine. Yeah, I do as well. And uh, he's a guy we talked about the cost per acquisition. If you decided yeah. to trade him and. Uh, they end up getting a good deal there. Um, let's talk about the guy. He had the best plus minus. I, I don't judge a lot by plus minus either, but just for uh, radio transition, uh, let's go to the guy with the worst plus minus, and that was Nolan Patrick. He ended up a minus 30 this year, Bill. And we, we all understood that it was going to take some time to get his feet back under him coming off the year of missed hockey and so long without playing. Uh, but it, it it all turned out to be a very underwhelming performance by Nolan Patrick. I mean, he ends up with four goals. <laughs> He saw a significant amount of time on the power play. Uh, I, I think they put him on the penalty kill just to try and show some compete and some energy level at points. Uh, but all said and done, he ends up playing 52 games, which is a good part of the equation. Uh, but it was a very underwhelming performance. You can see the skills are still there. The skating ability, the hands, and all of those things, it, the, even the hockey IQ. But it's compete level that we're not yeah. seeing enough of, and that's frustrating. It is, um, you know, production-wise, he had five points in his first seven games. So he didn't. So in terms of putting a, a few points early, that's kind of what you're looking for. You know, well, you know, he's he's back in the lineup. It's something he can build off of. It went completely opposite direction. I mean, he, yeah. 
You know, he had what two power play goals for the season. One was an open. One was in the first period of opening night. Yep. Um, you know, it uh, it just never, it just never clicked for him. My concern with Nolan Patrick, I'll give him give him a partial pass because of all the time that he missed and the health issues. My concern with Nolan Patrick is I still see a lot of the same things I saw in his second NHL season. A little bit his first, but the first year. You give you give more of a pass because he was 19 years old and just in the league, and you you know you expect a degree of inconsistency. It's just part of the equation. Year two, I don't think he I don't think he really improved. You know, year two was kind of the same thing where he would he would get hot. He had a, a I think a stretch where he had 12 points in 13 games, which was where much of his his point totals from the season came. He had another eight and 10 games, and the rest of the season was nothing basically. Yeah, you know. Um, what what I see the concerns to with Nolan Patrick is he doesn't push himself out of his comfort zone. He doesn't he doesn't get below and inside the dots often enough. He doesn't force the issue. He doesn't engage enough in the you know in in the battles in the trenches. And if, and when he does, he he seems to lose a fair number of those battles. Yeah. Um, you know he he's I mean I think he. I don't think he's a bad defensive hockey player. I know the numbers look terrible this year. I mean, I thought that that's something he was actually built on his second year, um, was drafted with a reputation as being a guy who was going to be a good two-way center in the NHL. Um, you know, part of part of why it was such an awful plus minus is, quite frankly, the Flyers weren't scoring with him at all. In the so, you know, any, any goal against is just going to go minus, 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 minus. They're going to pile up on you, particularly, particularly with what he went through with what he and the team went through in March, it seemed like whenever he was on the ice or, you know, for a while, for a while there with uh, Phil Myers and Sanheim, it just seemed like they were on the ice for a whole lot of goals against and very few goals for. And then there you have it. Um, Patrick is capable of being a better player. We've seen it in small stretches, but I, I, as you said, it comes down to, to compete level, you know, Will he push himself out of his comfort zone? Will he? Will he work to get to the to the area? You know, get to the areas where there's a lot of punishment that's involved. And I don't, I, I don't. Maybe early, maybe very early on in the season, I thought that okay, maybe there's some trepidation about getting hit. But if you go back and watch him again, even year two and in year one, he's he's not a player who engages consistently. And that's what concerns me, you know, more, more than the numbers. If, um, you know, if he could, if he could just do that, play, play the way that he's played in those stretches where he is producing and do that most of the time, he's, he's going to be a good NHL player because he's big and he's strong and he's talented and he has good hands and, you know, good instincts and he, he reads the play well, but I, I, I see a player who gets comfortable and, you know, it, it, it's a lot, a lot of a lot of success in the NHL is doing things that don't feel very comfortable at yeah. times. You know, that's uh, you, you go to those dirty areas, you mix it up. And uh, when you're when you're a little bigger and you're stronger and you have the hands, you'll eventually succeed. You know, Patrick, to me, too many shots from the top of the circle or, or the outside or no shots at all. I mean, there were a lot of games where he wouldn't even attempt a shot or. You know, or or an opportunity to make a play. I remember, I remember one particular power play. I 
believe I commented on Twitter at the time, he had a he had a clean entry into the zone and he just pulled up way above the circle and dumped the puck behind the net. It was a safe play to make, but I, I want I want to see him be assertive. He actually had time and space to make a play, and those that that just is a microcosm of, of things you see with Nolan that that have to get better. Whether whether it's going to be with the Flyers, whether it's going to be with somebody else, if he's going to approach the ceiling that everybody thought he has and he still potentially could reach, you know, he has to he has to take charge. Yeah, uh, and you know, you look at, he'll drive it to coach nuts because you see the the raw skill set yeah. there, and you just go, man, the one thing you can control is compete level and yeah. and you know effort, and I don't know if it's a lack of effort, but it's a lack of compete, and that drives that'll drive a coach crazy because not every guy that puts on a pair of skates that goes out on the ice has the the skill set that he has to impact a game, and but they're willing to compete, and he needs to compete more. The coin flip that he, whether he's here or not next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know there have been the the rumors about uh, whether he whether he wants to stay or not. Uh, truthfully, you know, he's a restricted free agent again this summer. One, and he still he still does not have arbitration rights. Yeah. So to me, it's kind of an agent beating a drum, trying to create some leverage where they have none. Yeah. Well, what what team is beating down the door on him right now? That everybody's been waiting see mode. Yeah, you're on so, fifty cents on the dollar here. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it depends on it depends on just whether you you want to cut bay at this point and and look elsewhere from for where you drafted him and you know you've seen flashes i'm i'm a little loath just to, to pull the plug and, and sell it for use it for pennies on the dollar but you know sometimes sometimes you don't have a choice in the matter either because you have to Sometime. you have to yeah you know and, and how much trust level has he really earned to where you know, if you have an opportunity to improve this offseason and part of the equation is moving him, and it wouldn't be as the main piece, it would be just as a piece of piece of a trade, you know, you have to really think about doing that um, because, you know, going into next season, again, he hasn't earned the trust level. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you even slot him in the lineup right now? They tried him on wing. They uh, had him play third line center. They don't play fourth line. You know, they tried to take a little pressure off of him at times. They gave him good line mates and nothing, nothing seemed to spur it, you know, and, yeah. and it's, uh, that's a concern. You know, what, how do you, how do you reach the player? How do you, how do you unlock what's there? And to, to keep trying to find combinations and work with him, does it ultimately become a detrimental thing where you're, yeah. Can't you know, you're too much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is it is that good for how you're developing other players? Is is it good for the team as a whole? And I, you know, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I think it's things that they really have to think about this offseason. So it certainly is no certainty that he'll be back. If I'm Chuck, I say to that agent, "You got no leverage, brother. Uh, Get your player ready to come in here and compete this season. When he creates value, then I'll consider moving him. I still may move him before that, but that's my message to the agent is." have your player ready to play and ready to make a difference and compete. And, and if he can do that, then, then I'll, then, you know, I'll consider moving him cause I'll get some value for him. If, if I don't get any value, then we're going to be in a miserable situation. It's not good for anybody. All the while I'm still trying to, you know, I'm still considering him. When somebody picks up the phone and calls me about him, I don't, I certainly don't put the phone down. Uh, let's go from uh, Nolan Patrick to a guy that uh, ended up as a Masterton Trophy recipient, and that is Oscar Lindblom. And like like Patrick in some ways, we understood if, if Oscar wasn't going to be the same player he was prior to his Ewing sarcoma diagnosis, 
Uh, he had some flashes, and, and he had some points in the season where he looked uh, like the old Oscar, and he had points where he looked like like he was worn down, and we all understand why. And uh, the courage that he put forth for the team this season and over his battle was uh, tremendous. But all those things considered, and they have to be part of the equation when you're talking about Oscar Lindblom. This is real deal stuff that he was facing and and, and took on you know head on. Uh, how do you grade out his season? And uh, I'm expecting you know Oscar to be old Oscar. And uh, the Oscar that was uh, really performing well for the Flyers before his diagnosis, because I know he's putting on muscle. I had a chance to talk to him two weeks ago uh, when he got the the nominate or was uh, got the award for the Masterton Trophy. And I, I think Oscar's a driven guy, and I think he's going to be right back where he was. Yeah, um, I want to address something you know up front where because there's a there's a segment of the fan base that said, oh well, Oscar got hot for. A period of time in in 2019 20 you know and uh you know through the cancer diagnosis and people read an ability level or a ceiling for him that's higher than his real ceiling level and to those people i say you got to go back to a year before that when scott gordon took over as coach and oscar has moved up from the fourth line to the higher end of the lineup in the second half of the season all second half of the season he played like the same player that he did in 1920 uh up up so he was a you know he was a close to a 30 goal pace that second half of that season that carried through and he won you know he was uncanny in the way he won talk battles he became a, a pretty good penalty killer a guy you could plug into the second power play unit um you know just a guy distributing behind the net yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah he does so many little things right for the team and Fearless and fearless and going to the net and all those things. Even this, even this past year, when you know, of all guys to to have to drop the gloves in a game where you're getting blown out, it was Oscar Lindblom that did that. A first first career fight. You know that that's a guy who cares. That's a guy who will never. You know, if he loses, it's never because he's going to get outworked. Um, and you know, there there were flashes, particularly in the second half of the season, as you said, where. He looked much closer to himself. He had a two-goal game against the Islanders, for example. Um, and there were other games where the energy level was very low, and by his own admission, you know. And he, he was one of the guys who had COVID back in back in February, and it was the just the recovery process. I mean, it was such a short off season uh, for him last year, and he he was only able to put back a you know a, a fraction of the muscle mass that he had before that. And, uh, you know, add that to, and you can say this for Patrick as well, right? Very short training camp, no preseason, throw him right in the fire in the regular season. He actually scored goals in the first two games, although one was an empty netter and one was a fluke that went off of his helmet. But still, you know, but still you, you have to be there to score him, right? So, you know, I, I, I expect the Oscar of old or very close to that next season. Um He's not a guy that I'm, I'm terribly worried about bouncing back because we've seen it before and we've seen it for an extended period of time before. Um, and the other, you know, the other thing I'll say, say to this year is that, you know, he had eight, only eight goals this season, but he was one of the five team leaders in even strength goals at eight, which spoke more about the team than I guess about Oscar, but it was actually more even strength goals than Konechny had at seven. So, you know, Oscar's not terribly far off. He, uh, a good off season, you know, get off to a decent start, and you know, I, I think Oscar's going to be one of the guys who will be significantly better next season. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, let, let's hit three more guys, and we can do, do we, I guess, be a little shorter with these guys. Let's just start with Nicholas Albe Kubel. I mean, to me, what an erratic season. Way too many penalties uh, yeah. taken. Uh, just, you know, penalties from not moving your feet, you know, stick penalties. And those will drive a coaching staff crazy because move your feet. You know, if, you, if you're moving your feet, you're not putting yourself in the position to reach and trip and hook. And there was way too much of that. He was being relied upon to be an albeit, you know, more cost-effective solution for Tyler Pitlick, but he was anything but. Um, right. Tyler Pitlick was a guy that you always knew what you were going to get and was disciplined. We didn't get out of that, that out of Nicholas Albekubel. And to me, his, his roster spot's in jeopardy as a result. Completely agree. You know, year one, he won a roster spot the hard way. Um, and he did it by getting in, forechecking aggressively. You know, he, uh, I, I showed a little bit of offensive upside too. Yeah. And there was even talk by year two, maybe not the start of the year, but he might be a guy who you could work in eventually to a, to a penalty killing rotation the way that Pitlick was part of the PK. You know, he's not even really a guy you would even think right now about being being a penalty killer because he, he has he makes mental mistakes. Yeah. Um, penalty taker. Yeah. He's a penalty taker, yeah. too. Right. So that doesn't help because a lot of times they were killing penalties that he took. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was really a big step backwards for him this season for a guy who, you know, projects as a fourth line player, most likely. So if if he's not playing special teams and he's taking a lot of penalties and he's not scoring and he's erratic on the four check, you know, that, that's a guy who is going to have a hard time staying in the lineup. If other pieces come in and the Flyers have other candidates um, internally. So he's a player who's going to have to have a good off season and, and earn his way back in the good graces. You know, he's a player who the coaching staff stays on. Uh, he gets, he got, a lot of tough love from Ian LaPerrier, who's always been in his corner. He's always, you know, Lappy was always a guy who, who Abe Kubel could, could turn to and confide in, but Lappy would push him. And one thing I noticed that when Abe Kubel was having a really good stretch during his rookie year, uh, AV was very sparing in praise of him, you know, and it seemed to be almost a strategy that if we stay on him, we can get a little bit more out of him and he doesn't get comfortable. He doesn't fall into a comfort zone. Um, year two, they seem to, to want to give him a little more slack, which is what you hope to do with the player. And he didn't earn it. You know, it's just as simple as that. So, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a big question mark as uh, to where he fits in the lineup to me this offseason is going to be the next. And one of those guys chomping at the bit maybe to take his role is this guy named Tanner Lashinsky. And we didn't see a lot of Tanner. He ended up getting injured, but he's a guy that could make that jump. Sure. And he's a player who – uh, the American Hockey League level was scoring a lot of goals. He played a different role in the NHL than he than he played in collegiate hockey, and he played for the Phantoms. But that's a guy who came in and boy, he he plays the right way. Mm-hmm. Not not that he's uh, you know not that he's immune to mistakes. I know sometimes sometimes he'll try to do a little too much, like chasing the puck behind the net and getting getting on the wrong side of it. Sometimes not the fastest skater in the world, but he's he's a smart, skilled hockey player. And he doesn't make the same mistake twice very often. Um, saw that in his limited exposure in the NHL and saw that in over a more extensive number of games in the American Hockey League. To me, he's a guy with a, a good opportunity to to make the lineup in a probably a fourth-line role and maybe a guy you could spot higher in the lineup as the year goes on. 
but that's a guy who I think that that raised his stock this season as a you know as a young pro. Yeah, and the other guy, uh, young guy, that we got to mention too is Wade Allison because uh, this is a guy that I mean I, short shifts. Some people look at a short shift and go, "Why is he getting off the ice?" Well, he's getting off the ice because he goes out and he just absolutely guts it right yeah. and spills it. He's playing at 110 miles an hour as fast as he can, under control as best he can. We saw his ability around the net to score goals. We we didn't see a tremendous amount of that shot that he has, which is one of his best assets. Uh, we'll see that more going forward. But uh, what we saw out of Wade Allison this year, Bill, I was really impressed with. And to me, going into next year, he's a guy that's a lock for this team and yeah. going to be a, a significant part of it because of the energy that he brings to the game, a game in and game out. For sure. Uh, you know, I, I was in fate. They, they put him net front on the power play, and he did get one little slam dunk goal. I think it was the second game. Um, it was really a, a nice setup. I, I think Hayes set him up. Yeah, it was Hayes. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and it was, a, you know, an easy goal at, at that point. But I, I like him a little further away from the net. I think it was a game against Jersey later on. Where he just he just had a one-time laser. And that saw that quite a bit with the Phantoms. He saw that in, in collegiate hockey at Western Michigan. He's got a real – heavy shot and a real quick release and you know, he he's a legitimate goal scorer yeah. um he's a as you said he's a tenacious four checker uh, um you know he has a little bit of scott hartnell in him where he'll fall down his fair share yep but uh he'll bounce right back up and, and keep bouncing around the ice and you know he's uh he's 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 an easy player to root for um you know he's a I, he's kind of a funny interview too, you know. Yep. He just, and he, he's just an easy kid to like. Very physically strong, you know. He, uh, I think he went through the Gary Roberts uh, you know, mm-hmm. training program, which is, which is an insane training regimen. Ruling, from what they say. Oh, yeah. crazy! Yeah, and uh, so you know, the the only question with Alice has always just been, can he stay healthy? Yep. And he started this year. He got injured. I think it was the second or third day of training camp. And he missed the start of the year with the Phantoms. That you know, uh, once he finally got into the lineup, uh, then he was, you know, then he was fine. I mean, you know, with the Phantoms and and with the Flyers. And yeah, he's he's a guy who uh, I think will play in the top nine. We'll see some power play time, and I, I expect him to be a valuable contributor as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I totally agree, and he's a lot of fun to watch and. He was refreshing in this season, which is we all needed was something a little bit refreshing and something to look forward to, and he was one of those guys that did that. So um, Morgan Frost is a guy we didn't get to see this year. He got hurt, but um, we'll see, you know, we'll see, A, if Morgan Frost is here. I mean, his name is being dangled out there quite a bit in, in a lot of these conversations, but we'll see where all that goes in due time. Uh, but that's going to put a wrap on uh, the evaluations of the forward group from the 2021 season and uh, a little look ahead on each of them as well. Bill, this was fun. We got to break it all down. Uh, soon enough, we'll be starting to look at uh, expansion draft. The critical dates are getting closer and closer as we get closer to the month of July here. Um, and uh, we'll bring it all to you right here on Flyers Daily. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday's episode of Flyers Daily. Whiskey bottles and brand new cars. Oak tree, you're in my way. There's too much coke and too much smoke.